hey, Joe Casaboni here, and I'm just letting you know that how I built it is now Streamlined Solopreneur. So if you're seeing a new artwork and a new name in your podcast player, that is expected and by design. The new name better reflects the mission and really what has been the mission of this show for the last few years, and I'm really excited about it. All the links in the show notes and how I built it will still work, but the show also has a new home over at streamlined.fm if you want to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. For a feast or famine cycle, you, until you really and like really feel like the punch in the gut, you've never hit the famine. And by the punch in the gut, I mean, okay, you've got your stack of your monthly bills on your desk and you're looking at that and trying to say, do I keep the internet on and forego groceries? Or do I go get ramen noodle and I pay the bare bones minimum to keep the lights on? Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 150 and season eight of How I Built It. This year, 2020, the show will focus heavily on freelancers and small business owners like you. And to kick things off, I'm talking to a longtime freelancer and educator. His name is Jason Resnick. We've known each other online for a few years, but as you'll come to learn during the show, we just met. That was the first time we actually spoke face to face. He is the founder of the Feast Community and Live in the Feast podcast. And today he's going to tell you how to set yourself up to prevent the dreaded famine that often comes with freelance work. We talk about niching down, vetting clients, and so much more. Jason's wealth of knowledge is fantastic. I'm excited to have him kick things off because he's going to set a lot of things up in this episode that we're going to dig even deeper on throughout the rest of the season. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the first episode of season eight, episode 150, Preventing the Famine with Jason Resnick. Hey, everybody, before we get started, I want to tell you about my online membership and community creator courses. So I know that when you want to learn something new, the natural thing you probably do is go to Google or YouTube. I do the same thing. And that's really great for one off projects. I uh, used a YouTube video to learn how to change a light switch in my house. Uh, But I I'm not a big fan of YouTube for learning new skills, right? Because there are lots of videos on every topic. But which one is best and who do you trust? What order do you even watch the videos in and will you get the support you need? These are all things that YouTube or other potentially free videos can't do for you. So uh, I started Creator Courses a few years ago with the idea of uh, just putting online courses out there and I decided to morph it into a membership last year. So uh, stop wasting your time hunting and pecking for the right learning resources and tools. Over at Creator Courses, you can become a member and take all of the courses that we have to offer uh, included in that membership. And those courses focus on everything from just basic WordPress up to learning how to build websites without code something you don't necessarily need to do uh, in this day and age. And all of the courses are developed by me. Uh, And if you listen regularly, you know that I've been a developer for 
decades at this point, and uh, I have lots of experience building websites. I'm a teacher at heart, and I've created courses for LinkedIn Learning and things like that. So uh, on top of the courses, we're also a community, and members get access to forums and Slack and office hours with me. And so I just wanted to let you know about that and encourage you to join if you haven't already. Uh, listeners of the show, exclusively for listeners of the show, you can save 15% on all memberships, including the lifetime membership. All you have to do is visit creatorcourses.com build. That's creatorcourses.com B-U-I-L-D. Thanks so much. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Now, in 2020, I am focusing on you, the freelancer, the small business owner, the person who is thinking, how do I grow my business? Partially because I am also thinking about that, um, but my guest today is going to help us, I think, with block one. My guest is Jason Resnick. He is the uh, founder, owner of Res. He's a work-from-home dad, a dev, and a marketer of humans. Jason, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. So, so we were just talking before the show about how we've been like around each other on the internet, but we've never actually had a, a conversation in real life or via video. So this is, we're like meeting, quote unquote, for the first time, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, pe- a pen pal back in the day. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we've known each other for years and just never had that face to face. So yep. yeah, no, this, is, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah this, is, this is really cool. And I thought you were, um, you know, I thought you were a perfect fit for this because you also have a podcast kind of around um, the feast or famine and a, and a course as well, or a, a mm-hmm. training. Uh, maybe yeah. you could tell people kind of who you are and what you do. So I don't like stumble through that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. So as you said, I have a podcast, it's called live in the feast. Uh, definitely in line with what we're going to talk about today. Um, being, it's all about helping other developers and designers, marketers, writers, freelance types, Live in the Feast. And it's a seasonal podcast that tackles a theme for each individual season. Uh, So season six was pricing. And then each episode deep dived on a pricing strategy, tactic, and so on and so forth. Season seven, which we're in currently, is the ideal client. So we're learning, you know, in the service world, uh, the customer avatar exercises that give you those demographical type characteristics of somebody don't doesn't really work all that well. And so I brought on a whole bunch of other people that are much smarter than me that uh, we dive into how they discovered their ideal client and exercises that they went through and th- so so on and so forth. Um, so that's that's live in the feast. That's my podcast. and I do also do coaching and mentoring. Um, I have a program called Feast which is a community and resource hub for developers and designers that are looking to build a sustainable business through specialization and building predictable income. Um, that's a real long sentence for, hey, I'm giving you everything that I've done for my business for the past nine and a half years. Um, and a lot of that is word of mouth and organic type exercises. And we'll probably dive into some of that today. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a community where 
it's not just a course. There's that course mm-hmm. element, but every single month we have roundup calls, so the whole community comes together in a Zoom right. chat, and we kind of talk and chit-chat and talk about topics and scenarios and things like that. We do co- virtual co-working sessions. Um, you know, So it, there's a definite community aspect to it where it's, it's, it's more than just the course. It's just the course is there, but the, there's community aspects that are a little different. We do sales role play calls so that people can improve wow. their sales calls and discovery calls and things like that. So, you know, I I really built it. <laughs> One out of an, people were asking me about it. Like, this is about eighteen months now that I've I've done this now. Um, and two, it was like I wish this was here when I started back in twenty ten, and there was nothing like that there. And how can I help people really that are just a few steps behind me on the same path? Wow, that's that's awesome. Um, and I'm gonna. I think I might steal some of this stuff for my membership because honestly, <laughs> I mean, what you said right is uh, like I have a bunch of courses, but people aren't gonna want like people aren't necessarily going to want to be a member just to have access to all these courses. They could just buy the course and have it, but building that community aspect and like the role playing sales calls is a really good idea. Um, so like that's, that's super cool. It sounds like you've learned from experience and uh, generally I ask people when they're building their business or their product, what kind of research did you do? But I feel like you and I are in the same boat in that a lot of what we've learned from our freelance or small business career is stuff that we kind of learned through experience. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, I try to either, most of the stuff that I've learned is by my own quote unquote failures, Mm -hmm. but it's also trying to learn from those people that are a few steps ahead of me too. So that's why I get, that's why I built Feast in the way that I did was that, you know, I, the vast majority of the community that is in Feast are people that have been doing this for three three years or so. They're not necessarily still in the cubes while we still have those people in there, but the vast majority are a few steps behind. And so um, I always look at any sort of opportunity where I can learn from somebody else. And, you know, <clears throat> I know you know who he is, Troy Dean. Mm-hmm. I've talked to him for years now. Uh, Matt Medeiros, so, so many other people that have, you know, yes, they're in the WordPress space, but they have business experience from other areas of their lives and such. And so, you know, to be able to learn from their experiences and having conversations and just not necessarily even in the context of, you know, a coaching mentor relationship, but it's just, hey, conversation, he shared this story that oh, okay, I'm just being perceptive of things that I'm, I'm hearing, especially I work from home. Like I don't have somebody else next to me that I could just go to lunch with, right? So while I'm working from home and having conversations, it's a matter of just being perceptive and really listening and being empathetic to that, per, that other person so that maybe if I start approaching the same scenario that they're running into, that I'm not going to fall into that same you know, pitfall, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's a fantastic point. And uh, that's kind of, I think you might have alluded to this too. Like part of the reason that I would consider my podcast a success, even if it just like cost me money all the time. Like I'm lucky enough that my, my show is sponsored and 
I do, um, you know, it's definitely not costing me anything. Uh, Even if it did, though, even if I never made a dime off the podcast, I would consider it a win because it's been like a master class for me. I've had Mm. uh, conversations with over 150 people now, and I've learned from them, and I've improved my business off of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the podcast for me, (laughs) and this is one of the things that I had learned from both Matt and Troy, was that... um, (laughs) What Troy said one time in a story was that his coach or mentor, I believe it was, said that in order to become an influencer, you have to have influencers in that space talk about you, right? And so he said, well, then I'll make a podcast. I'll bring on the influencers. <laughs> then they will have, go ahead and share out the podcast that they were on and so on and so forth. So for me, I didn't think of it like that. When I first started, and re- like when I first started my business, I was doing Ruby on Rails, Java development, custom Peach. I was like wow. all over the map, right? Yeah. The only reason why I fell into or backed into, if you will, WooCommerce was because I was in the e-commerce space. I really loved doing that kind of work and working with those people. But what my clients at that time were asking for was they weren't like Amazon. They weren't going to be in their site all day long, every single minute of every single day. And so they needed something that they could go in once a day or once a week and be able to manage and things like that. So I listened to that and I said, well, WooCommerce, you know, and this was 2012 when I made the decision and I just was like, okay, I'm planting my flag in WooCommerce. Luckily, that was the right flag to put at the time because there was plenty of other e-commerce plugins at the time. Um, But so I planted my flag there, um, and then I just create. I created a uh, a podcast, if you will. It was Google Hangouts, is what it was, um, with uh, Bronson Quick, um, he Australian, and then later on it was uh, Tom Harrigan. We brought in, and we did this irregular podcast. It was once a month. It was a Google Hangout, but we would bring on other people. And we would just geek out, like tools, code, like, I mean, I don't know. It was probably boring for a lot of people, but, you know, for us, it was pretty cool. Like, we were planting our flags, if you will, in the space. Um, And I got to be known as the WooCommerce guy. Like, I would get referrals saying, oh, you know, so-and-so sent me here. They said, you're the WooCommerce guy. And so I, 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 when it happened a few times, it was like, oh, this is like, this is pretty cool. This is what Troy was talking about. Like yeah. I wasn't I wasn't trying to be known as a voice in the space, but I was trying to build my business. And well, I built my business organically through this podcast that was really irregular. It was like cuz time zones and trying to figure out when people were available and stuff that was really hard. So even though that I did this thing once a month and we did it for 19 episodes, um, and it it broadened my network because we were bringing on other people and yeah. people would hear about the podcast and we would share it on socials and things like that. And, and well, my, my name got out there about WooCommerce because that's what I was talking about on the show. And so it really accelerated my growth as far as podcasting goes. And that was my first like avenue in like, hey, this is marketing. And I didn't intend it to be. I thought it was just cool to talk to these guys about yeah, right. geek stuff. Uh, so yeah, so I've... I've obviously done more podcasting. I got two podcasts now and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, for me, podcasting 
Yeah, I'd much rather pull up a mic and have a conversation with you than, than write a blog post. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Do you remember when you started your small business? It was no small feat. It took lots of late nights, early mornings, and the occasional all-nighter. Bottom line, you've been insanely busy ever since. So why not make things easier? Well, my friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners. It's simple, intuitive, and keeps you way more organized than a dusty shoebox filled with crumbled receipts. As a side note, I actually told my accountant the first time that I used the shoebox method and his face turned white. But in actuality, FreshBooks was one of the first things I bought when I started my business. I've been a FreshBooks user since 2009. It's easily the best accounting and invoice software for small business owners like us. Create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds, and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. Nothing is better than sending out an invoice and getting it paid in the same day. That's happened for me with FreshBooks. You can also file expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part is that FreshBooks grows alongside your business. So you'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. Now, there are a lot of features on this list I have here to talk about, but I'm going to pick two of my favorites. The first is late payment reminders. They are clutch. It's one less thing that I need to worry about when making sure I get paid. I don't have to keep track of exactly when I sent the invoice. And if I already sent a follow-up email or whether or not they viewed the email, all of that is taken care of inside FreshBooks. The other feature I really like is the automated expenses. I connect my business credit card to FreshBooks and my expenses automatically get imported. They are all there, ready for me and my accountant to review. It makes tax time easier for both of us. And it's no secret that I love automation and these two features make my life a lot easier. After doing things by hand, FreshBooks is worth the price of admission just for those two things. So join the 24 million people who have used FreshBooks. You can try it for 30 days for free. No catch, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash built it and enter how I built it in the how did you hear about us section to get started. That's freshbooks.com slash built it. That's built with a T. Thanks so much to FreshBooks for supporting the show. And now let's get back to it. I'm going to like humble brag here for a minute because it just happened this week as we record, but my show has been downloaded over a million times now, which is like insane. Thank you. Um, And I know it's because like I got those influencers early on, right? Chris Coyer and Troy Dean were both on the show within the first 15 episodes uh, and they shared it to their audiences. And, and um, you know, I, I think I found the right people at the right time who were learning along with me. Right. Uh, a, a quick lesson before we actually get into the feast and famine stuff is, um, you know, I I had a lot of in my in last season towards the end of last season I had a lot of CEOs of multi million dollar companies and venture capital and and I enjoyed those conversations for what they were I think I learned I think I personally learned a lot I think there were good nuggets in there but they didn't perform as well as as say me interviewing Ali Nimmons who's a freelancer. 
um, or uh, or Michelle Shulp, right? Because mm-hmm. they are relatable to the audience, and uh, that is incredibly important, right? To me, to the people listening, they want to know what's next, right? They want to know who's three or four steps ahead of them, um, mm-hmm. and so I think that. Uh, you know, having a, a podcast with the right content with the right people is is absolutely important for that. Um, and speaking of uh, kind of ha- being a few steps ahead, I think we've both lived through the feast and the famine. Um, I can kind of predict. I've switched industries in the last couple of years, N- not industries, but niches within the industry. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm a front end developer. I have a master's in software engineering, but I've been doing more content creation, courses, podcasts, um, videos for hire and stuff like that. But while I was doing development, I always knew that the, f- the famine for me was between like November, Black Friday-ish, through like mid-January, right? Nobody was spending mm-hmm. money because they were too mm-hmm. busy trying to make money. A um, little different now, I think like uh, the, the, f- the famine uh, is like in the summer now, because people are gearing up for sponsorship money and their content mm. budgets, so they're willing to spend around now. But anyway, my point is that no matter where you are in your business, you're going to be super busy at some times and super slow at other times. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we could start off with, like, how would you define feast and famine? And how, quick overview, how do you handle each? Sure, so... Well, how I define Feast of Famine, to your point, yes, end of year, as a developer, that was always like budgets run out. They're like, all right, we'll just yeah. coast into next year and we're done. Um, and I've, I've heard, even I haven't experienced it myself so much, but I, I think it makes sense, is summertime does seem to be a lull nowadays because I guess people go on vacations, customer, you know, companies, especially if they're subcontracting out work and all that, it kind of, I guess it kind of makes sense that there's a little bit of a lull there too. So for a feast or famine cycle, you, until you really and like really feel like the punch in the gut, you've never hit the famine. And mm-hmm. by the punch in the gut, I mean, okay, you've got your stack of your monthly bills on your desk and you're looking at that and trying to say, do I keep the internet on and forego groceries or do I go get ramen noodle and I pay the bare bones minimum to keep the lights on, right? And so when you come up with that, that's that's the punch in the gut where... and. I was at a point where I hit that. I was like, okay, the cable bill, like I'm trying to make money through the internet, so I kind of need the internet. <laughs> and like, like, okay, maybe I could hold off my landlord for a week or whatever, right? And so, you know, like I was at that stage early on um, and it was tough. Like, like I didn't know what I was doing wrong because this was actually the second time. Like I, I left, I was laid off from... A, uh, a consultant agency in the early 2000s when the whole dot-com thing exploded in on itself, right? Um, and so I said, oh, I got a skill. I could do this thing. 18 months later, I was back at a full-time job because I didn't know a lot of the business side of things. I didn't know how to handle contracts and marketing and all the rest of it. But 
what happened was in 2011, 2012, I hit that same wall and I was like, well, what happened? Maybe this just isn't for me, which was devastating for me because I was getting burned out and I was like, I, I'm not doing something right. Well, what I found out was I had to look in on myself to figure out what it was that I was doing wrong and right and, and everything in between and really double down on what's working like and stop distracting myself from everything else, right? And so when I was at that point, I, I basically said, that's when I found, I backed into WooCommerce. I was like, okay, I'm really gonna focus in on that because that's what people are asking me for. What's working? Uh, what's working is my word of mouth. I getting referrals in. I'm get that's where I get the most amount of my work from, um, for better or worse. And you know you can fine tune that later, but that's where I my attention should be. Should try to be growing that word of mouth so that it's predictable because word of mouth and referrals is everyone's number one source of leads, but it's mm -hmm. all by chance. Yeah, like. 99% of the people out there will say that it just happens. And I wanted to make it predictable. And how, how I had to really figure out how to do that and just build out this organic engine. And there's, diff there's five pillars of that engine that basically fire on all cylinders. And I can know that I'm going to get anywhere between 12 and 16 leads every single month coming into my business. And I've never spent one ad dollar ever. Right, and so right. to to avoid that feast or famine, I just doubled down, or to avoid the famine part, really, is I doubled down on what worked. I removed all the distractions, like Twitter and Facebook mm -hmm. and all the rest of the stuff, where you're spending all this time, all countless hours, hoping to get that next client that never comes. Right? Yeah. And so, what's the point of spending all the time there? Let me double down on the other things. So. That's how you start to build that foundation is really to look at what's working for you. If Twitter or Facebook and all that is working for you, and I did get clients through those means, but if that's really what works for you, then go ahead and double down on it. Don't worry about TikTok and Snapchat and all the rest of it. Like, Just forget <laughs> that stuff. Just work over here. Work on the, on the things that work and really get that engine fine-tuned for yourself. And that will help you build a pipeline because that's how you avoid those lows is a pipeline because I know I'm going to get those leads coming in, right? Even on the slow periods, I'm going to get those leads in. And even if, if it's really fast and furious and I'm, I don't have any sort of work, well, and I'm really in the feast, well, I could either schedule out projects that come through. I could say, hey, look, there's a project that's going to end in two months. I'd be happy to schedule you in if you want to put a deposit down. We could go ahead and do so. Um, that also helps with that low period, especially if that low period is 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 on the horizon there. Um, and just really just honing in on your network. Like I refer tons of work to people that I trust and know will get, do a good job because I want to be a connector of sorts with leads, right? Because I don't know that you know, they may come back to me and they do, right? Like if I talked to somebody two years ago and I referred them off and they'd had an awesome experience somewhere else, they still may need the services that I offer later on. And I might have the bandwidth at that time. So I want to make sure that I can take care of anybody that comes through. So, yeah. So I'm going to hold on. Also, I'm going to stop mm -hmm. you right there. Cause there are, I think three things that you said in that, that I really want to tease out. 
First is that just in case TikTok is dead by the time this episode comes out, <laughs> TikTok was a very popular social network in November of 2019. <laughs> um, but I mean, so first, what you said about Twitter, uh, like totally resonates with me. I used to think that Twitter was like the way I would get work and the way I would get sales and members, but it's not. Twitter is just like some transient thing that people read and then forget about or like read and then like hate comment and then forget about. Right. So like, that's a really good point. Figure out what's working for you. But the other thing you said was how do uh, I mean, you misspoke here, but I, I want to make it a, a general point. Um, how you avoid the feast and the famine. Are there times when the feast is too much feast, right? Like, you know, I read an, I read from an article, I think in the New York Times or the New Yorker, the word New York, the term New York was in the title, um, <laughs> that most freelancers don't die of starvation, right? They, they die of drowning because they have too much work. They feel like they have to say yes to everything. Um, and you started to talk about it, right? You, you, uh, you have your pipeline, you know what's coming, you know what you can handle, and then you schedule two months out. Are your clients ag like agreeable to that, or are, are they like, I need to do this now? And if they are, I need to do this now, how do you figure that out? Then it's not me, right? Yeah. I, I, have, I, have, I know how much I can handle. And the thing that I always have to, I always go to is, why did I start this business in the first place, mm -hmm. right? I started this business this is me personally. I started my business so that I could spend time with my family, spend time with friends, take off on a random Tuesday afternoon because it's nice outside, like without having to ask another adult for permission to do so. Like these are the reasons why, right? So I have pictures of my family on my desk and so on and so forth. So anytime I come up, it's it's an amazing opportunity. I just don't have the time. I don't shoehorn them in. I have to say no. Like that's just the priority. That's being a big boy and, and really owning up to it. Yes, some I I some leads and clients, they're agreeable to it. Others aren't, and that's fine. And then I try to help them find the right person that could fit for them. But it's really just knowing for me, it's knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and then just allowing that to dictate things. Because for me, I much rather spend time with my two sons. Then coding, like I just, there's no question on where I would rather spend the time. And if it, if me taking on some other client that's going to make me work until 1030 at night that, and miss bedtime and all the, you know, dinners and all the rest of it, like that's just not worth it for me. Yeah, absolutely. That makes, I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? Know what you do and why you're doing it. It's so important, right? I'm going to make websites because it seems easy. Like I heard a dude at a bar say that one time and I was like, <laughs> go for it, man. Uh, like definitely do that if you think that. Um, mm -hmm. But like when I left my agency job, um, you know, I, I said, I don't, I don't want to miss my daughter's first steps because I was working late for the company. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is my guiding light as well. And saying no to work is hard. Uh, but I just, this week I said no to a, you know, 12, 12 or $15,000 project, um, which is decent money, especially mm -hmm. cause I'm not doing a ton of development work anymore. Um, but I, it wasn't the right fit for me because I'm Absolutely. moving out of that kind of vertical mm -hmm. I'm, and I want to focus on my products and 
even though it was good money, what if it's a hundred hour project, what could I be spending those hundred hours on otherwise? Right. Um, right. So as, as you start to think about, so I'll just say the general advice that I give people for avoiding the feast is, uh, or avoiding the famine is by storing money away during the feast. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, how, like, what's your biggest piece of advice? I like, I, I, I kind of want to tease out what you said about kind of building the pipeline. How do you figure out who is a good fit for you? And, and, um, cause again, like I said, it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to say no, especially yeah. if it's like a big fat check. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, saying no, it, it comes easier though. Right. Yeah. And it comes with the confidence that you know that you're going to be okay. Right. Like, so if you do have that pipeline coming through and you know where the, the next project could be coming from, right. Or, and you know, like that I'm going to get 10 leads next month. I'm going to get 10 leads next month. I'm going to get 10 leads next month. Saying no today is okay because you know that there's going to be nine others coming up. Um, and it's hard to tell somebody that, yeah, there's another project right around the corner because I was there. Like yeah. I, I was like, this person's ready to pay me. They're not an ideal fit. Like, it's just not what I do. Like, eh, all right, I need the money now. So I'm going to take it, right? I've been there. Yeah. But that was actually the last straw for me back in 2012 or 2013. I was building a website for a hairstylist who was building an online course for hairstylists. <laughs> um, paying me real bottom dollar. I really needed the money. Um, they were looked at me nothing more than a p- ten fingers on a keyboard. They were basically dictating lines of code, mm-hmm. like, and they didn't know code f- from anything, like yep. you know. But I was just like, I need the money, and I felt miserable. I woke up hating it. Like, oh, I got to work on that site today. Like, just really, like, I didn't feel good at all. And what for me from that point forward was how do I only capitalize and work with those people that I actually do want to work with? And so I really just sat down and took a look at my client roster and I analyzed it a little bit. I said, okay, these are the types of projects that I like to work on. These are the types of projects that I don't like to work on. And these are the types of people that I like to work with. And these are the types of people that I don't like to work with. And as I came through this, and this is a framework that I do teach um, to my coaching clients, but is really just after you have those kind of lit, those two lists, then take a look at it and see what characteristics match 75% of those list items that you took. So if you have your list of projects and clients that you like, okay, what's common across all of those, right? And then of those, that red flag list, right? Those people that you don't like to work with, uh, well, what's common across those? And then now you have your green lights and your red flags. And so for a long time, I had my red flags posted on my monitor, Mm -hmm. right? Just so that it was front and center because, well, through Zoom, well, I had, I, they didn't see it, but I had it front and center right next to their face. Right? And so <laughs> if there was like a two, and I've learned this from my, my, from experience is like, if they hit two of those red flags, we're not working together. I don't, I don't even go for the third strike, anything like, I just know it's just not going to work out because I've looked, gone to the third strike and 
gone through the project and it just doesn't work out as good. And it's not that it's bad person or anything like that. It's just the project wasn't as successful as it could have been, right? Um, so just working through that exercise, if you will, will allow you to help start filtering out at a real like making the decision for you before you have to make it, right? Because in business, you can't make a decision on emotion, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And when you need money and you're looking at your stacks of bills, you're making decisions based off of emotion, not off of actual logic. And so I like to be as logical as I can. And if it's a good fit, well, then I'd much rather take the next project that's going to be a good fit than take on this project that because I need the cash or the money, then it's not going to be a good fit. And now I have to pass on the good fit project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a ton of fantastic advice. Having that that rubric, essentially, of like grading your client or a potential client um, is super important because until you, you don't really know until you kind of lay it all out, right? Um, and this does come with experience, right? You need to learn how to read people and look for those red flags. And later in the season, I'm going to be talking to Nathan Ingram all about this stuff. Um, but... Uh, you know, it's kind of knowing that stuff. Again, more stuff that I learned from experience, right? I had a nightmare client who uh, wanted to shop but didn't want the e-commerce part of it. And then like 11th hour was like, we need a shopping cart. And I'm like, it's going to cost you 10 times more. And he flipped out on me. And luckily I knew, like I logged all my hours. And I'm like, here's how much time that I spent. And because I quoted you a fixed rate, this is how much you've already saved. Uh, based mm-hmm. on the hourly rate. And then he backed off a little bit, but I was like, man, I, like, I, I should have known early on when I kept saying, do you want this? Do you want this? And they were like super wishy-washy and then sent me their logo in PowerPoint. I was like, this is probably <laughs> oh, a bad geez. fit. Um, <laughs> right, right. But I was in college yeah, and I, I mean, didn't to, know. Yeah. So. yeah. To your point though, like even just if you, if you just think about personalities, right? Mm-hmm. Like even if you have no clients, you've never had a client before on your own and maybe you've done some work in a you know in a full time job or a part time capacity or something like that, there's that experience that you can draw on. But even just in your own world, who are the types of people that you like? You yeah. know, like uh, just write those down and then try to figure out what question can you ask that could answer and and figure out that characteristic, right? So that's how I try to look at it from the perspective of doing the exercise of figuring out your your reds and greens is that, okay, now that I know these things, like if I don't, you know, I don't like being micromanaged and don't like somebody telling me what lines of code to write. So how do I ask, what question do I ask on the other side of things? Well, have you worked with other online contractors, you know, contractors before? Mm -hmm. And if they say no, okay, they say seven, okay, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like if if you find if you work with one or two, I got it. But if you work right. with seven, well then there's a problem somewhere, right? And yeah, so, right. It's it's easy to take that as like a well, I used to take it as a compliment, right? These seven other people didn't work out, you're gonna work out. And then I learned like, oh, it's not that these seven other people didn't work out. It's that they all realized how much of a nightmare you are. Right. Exactly right. This episode is brought to you by SaneBox. If you asked me to name the single biggest workplace time waster, I don't even have to think about it. The answer is email. 
In fact, a recent study found that almost 50% of the time managers spend tending to their inboxes is spent on emails that should have never been sent to them or that they didn't need to answer. But what if you could press a magic button and never see those time-wasting emails again? Well, that's exactly what SaneBox does. With just a few clicks, SaneBox automatically gets your email under control and filters out all the messages that don't need your focus. And you don't even have to switch email apps because it works in concert with whichever email client you already use. I've been using SaneBox for a few months now and I immediately saw big changes in the way I manage my email. I no longer get distracted by every little thing that comes into the inbox. I only see the important stuff until I choose to look at other folders. It also has some nifty features like the same black hole, where you can vanquish senders you never want to hear from again. I am unapologetic about that button. Plus, I created my own called Sane Money, where all online orders and banking info goes. So if I need to check in on something I ordered or need to get a tracking number or the latest bank statement, I know exactly where to go. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com slash HowIBuilt today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's SaneBox, S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash HowIBuilt. That's built with a T. Thanks to SaneBox for supporting this show. And now, let's get back to it. I like that. Like, figure out, a, you know, if you've never worked with a client, ask yourself, because there are certainly people you don't like. I mean, you and I are from New York, so we probably don't like more people than most. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, so the point is that there are definitely things from your personal experience you could pull from to kind of figure out, how do I... How do I figure out what is or is not a good fit for me? Um, and and so you also mentioned that you do primarily WooCommerce stuff. Uh, is niching down a big part of that? Like, and how much should you niche down? Like, I work with small business owners. Is that a good niche? Or like, I work with construction workers. That's like the niche that I want to be in. Can you talk a little bit about that as it pertains to like feast versus famine? Sure. So the thing that when you talk about niching down, it could be as big or as small as needed. Mm-hmm. It's ha- it really then the the specialization happens when you can verbally say to somebody of a specific type that you help them solve a problem with your solution, right? So mm-hmm. once you can articulate what that that is, then you could speak to anybody in that space, right? So, you know, case in point, I help online establish online business owners get more customers, get repeat customers, and create rating fans, right? I do that through a tool of WordPress, ConvertKit, and or Drip, right? And so I do, what I do on the technical end of that is probably really deep and nerdy and everything else to them, but all they care about is getting more customers, getting repeat customers, and creating raving fans of their brand, right? And so the the nuance to my niche there is established online businesses, right? So I mm-hmm. deal with e-commerce businesses. I deal with course creators and coaches. I have nonprofits, right? These are established online businesses, meaning 
I'm not building them a, scra- a, a site from scratch. They're already online. They have the assets. They know what they know, and they oftentimes don't know what they don't know, right? But they yeah. see that there's traction. They're, they're making some money. They're investing in their business, and they're building a business online. So I'm not building them anything from scratch. I'm just enhancing or building upon what they've already built so that they can get to the next level or bring in pieces of their business that haven't, they haven't done yet, things like that. And so you really want to articulate, like, and look, I only need eight clients every single month. Like, I, I'm on a retainer. You know, all my clients are on retainer. Yes, there's one or two that cycle in and out, maybe on average about four, every four months or so, but I have long-term clients that have been with me for five-plus years. And I only need eight. Like I know that that's my magic number, my sweet spot, if you will. So how how small of a niche do I have to have? Right? Like I mean, if there's eight people out there, there's eight people out there, right? Yeah. There's plenty of established online businesses, right? There's plenty of people running WooCommerce, right? And so there's plenty of people on ConvertKit and Drip, right? And so that's a big enough market for me to tap into that I could find enough people to sustain me in my business and support my family and so on and so forth. Now, if you happen to find a unicorn somewhere, which I don't know that it exists, right? Like there's only one person out there. Maybe that niche is too small, right? Right. I don't know. But when you just say I work with small businesses, I would always encourage that other person to say, okay, how do you help them? Right. Do you help them? You really want to figure out what the problem is that they have that you can solve. And you want to be able to articulate it in a way that makes so much sense to them that they say, yes, I need that. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And like converse to you, um, you know, my especially when I was freelancing full time, my wheelhouse was I help people get online. Right. I work with those mom and pop shops who don't have a website who want a presence online. And I want to, I want to, I ask them like, what's the main thing you want your website to do for your business? And then we go from there. Once I launch, not that I never want to talk to them again. That's not at all the case, but I like continually solving these new problems. Right. So I had my niche in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you only need eight clients a month. Um, this is something that you know. It, it kind of sounds like you have a, a productized service. Is that right? Or is it like... For the, for the most part. Yeah, okay. like I, I've productized everything around the bespoke service that I yeah. have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you, you know your offering really well. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to somebody who is maybe they're making websites, they're a front-end developer or they're a designer... Uh, where the projects are less predictable. Can we introduce more predictability into their process? Or, or maybe we say, you could take on a new client every six weeks as long as you do these things. Like, wh- what, are, what are some of the things that they can do to know their magic monthly or quarterly number? Know the scope. It all comes down to scope, right? And so the only reason why I know... It, it is my number is because I know how many hours I'm spending on each each client, and I only know that because I know exactly what I'm doing for each client. Um, 
when I, and it was something that I struggled with for a long time too. I'm like, how do people schedule out things? Cause like, yeah. I, you know, I say it's going to take six weeks and then it comes to eight and 10 and 12 and okay, it is what it is. And that happens when it's hourly sometimes, but it, it's even worse if you're doing value-based pricing, then you're kind of doing it wrong, if you will. Yeah. Um, but it's really narrowing the scope. If you have a well-defined scope at the proposal stage, um, really iron that out because then you, can, you always have that to go back on, right? Because once scope creep starts happening, we need this, we need that, I'll say, okay, we can do that. It's going to cost this much and it's going to blow out our timeline this much. Is that really the priority here? And leave it up to them. And if they're yeah. willing to do that, then fine. But if they're not, it was their decision to make anyway. I don't. I never. I never say no for the client. I want them to say no. Right? They yeah. can bring all the ideas to the table. Um, but if they don't really understand the consequences of that, uh, and maybe they do, maybe they don't. But I, I'm going to articulate that that to them. I'm going to say, okay, that's fine. We can add. You know, we could change the header from the way it looks now to whatever design that you want it to have. That's fine. It's going to be another week and a half to do that, and that means we're going to miss our deadline. So it's a week and a half, extra money, extra timeline. If you're willing to do that, then let's go ahead and do that. Otherwise, let's stay on topic. Let's stay on, on course here. I, I love that. Um, it, the scope is so, like, if you are a freelancer or a small business owner, the scope is your best friend. Like have mm-hmm. a contract. I know like that's a whole, I'll have that discussion later on in the season two, but like your contract, your scope, it's going to be your best friend because that's like Jason said, it's what you'll fall back on. Um, what you said reminded me of a book I read a while ago called the Imagineering way. I'm a huge Disney fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so Imagineers, they're the engineers over it. Did they make the rides and all this other stuff? But, uh, they had a chapter in this book called the Imagineering way called yes, if, and it's just what you said. Um, I never say no for the client. I want them to say no. So somebody comes to you mm-hmm. with an idea. You don't say no because. You say yes if. Yes, we can add this new feature if you have X amount of dollars and Y amount of weeks that we can extend mm-hmm. this project, right? And now I have to fit those Y amount of weeks into whatever I'm already doing for other people that I've promised, right? Absolutely. Um, so I think that's that's fantastic. Um so we're we're coming up on time here, and I think what I would love to do we've we've talked about a lot, right, about how to understand your ideal customer a little bit, um, knowing your scope and and extending your network. What are two to three takeaways for the listener to, uh, to uh, improve or prepare for their next famine? I know I'm springing most, this on you. <laughs> we didn't talk about this beforehand, uh, but you know, if you, just a couple of tips for preparing. For yeah, absolutely. Statement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it is it is what it is. Understand your why, why you started your business in the first place. Stay the course with that. That is not going to steer you wrong. That's your compass. It's been the compass for me for a decade. Um, if you know that, then all the other decisions are going to be easy enough to make. Um, that's where I go to. So if there's a great opportunity, like I'm a I'm a Mets fan. That the New York Mets I'm, showed up at my I'm, front door. I'm sorry door. to hear that. Yeah. 
I'm yeah, a Yankee. I know, fan. I, know, I know you are. I know you are. So so is my wife. Uh, so it's a rough it's a rough household yeah, sometimes. The house the divided. Yeah, my exactly. wife's a Phillies fan. I don't know what to tell you. Oh jeez. Oh man. Forget it. I couldn't be married. <laughs> At least I could deal with a Yankee fan. Uh, but nonetheless, like it, for me, if the New York Mets showed up at my door knocking on my door and said like, Hey, we want to work with you. And this is what we're looking for. I would say no, because they, the, the, the number of boxes they ticked it off on the red, red flag list is gone. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you know what that is for you, that's going to help you decide that stuff. And it's going to allow you to really stand out in the marketplace for who you want to be working with. And those people are going to find you. Those are the ideal clients that are going to help you build that referral network that you're going to look for that's going to give you those predictable uh, you know, leads coming into your business because it's like, those are going to be successful projects. And those people surround themselves but with other like-minded people. And they're going to say, hey, look, Joe, Jason, you know, Jane, Keith, like they did awesome work for me. Uh, you got to talk to them because they did an amazing job for me. And so that's what you want from a customer rather than, ah, I got to pay a bill. And this customer, yeah, they, they're happy with what they got, but they're not going to refer you to nothing because it wasn't as good as it could be. So that would be my biggest takeaway. It's all iterative and you just got to kind of be paying attention to that whole that whole circle, if you will. Gotcha. I love that. And I think I would add to that, you know, be patient. Starting a, if, if starting a business was easy, everybody would do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or everybody would continue to be in business, maybe I should say. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a grind, but, you know, understanding, understanding your why. I mean, I'm going to link in the show notes to Simon Sinek's Start With Why. I think that's a great book, and it, it really reinforces everything, uh, Jason, that you've talked about here. So, mm-hmm. um I know you gave us a ton of great advice, but I do need to ask my favorite question, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? Yeah, trade secrets. Um, so this is a little hack that I, I got from a friend of mine, Curtis McHale. Uh, he says in a sales call, if he doesn't laugh at least three times, he doesn't work with them. Ah, I love that. So I've sort of just, I, I don't have a hard line metric like that, but like I, I want to make sure that we can gel and there's that personality mesh, if you will, that in a 30 minute call, if we're stepping on each other's toes, we're not really going to be a good fit. Um, but if we're, we get each other, there's a vibe there. There's, you know, we do laugh at, at the corny jokes and small chit chat stuff. Awesome. Then things might work out. That's, that's fantastic. I, Truly love that piece of advice. Um, awesome. Well, Jason, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you? Yeah, I'm at Rez with three Zs on Twitter, or you can head on over to Rez.com. All right. Also with three Zs, correct? Yes. All right. I will link all those things and everything we talked about in the show notes over at howibuilt.it. Uh, Jason, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was awesome. Thanks so much to Jason for joining us today to kick things off in season eight. He offered just like a ton of fantastic advice, but my favorite was how he vets clients. What he said about uh, how he, if he doesn't laugh three times during that initial call, he doesn't work with them. I think that's a great litmus test. I think that you should come up with your own litmus test for vetting clients. I certainly have my own 
Uh, but uh, again, lo- just lots and lots of great advice there. Fantastic way to kick off the year and to kick off season eight. So uh, thank you again to Jason. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can head over to howibuilt.it slash 150. Thank you to this week's sponsors. They are Sanebox and FreshBooks. I'm really excited to have both of them as sponsors for this season uh, because those are tools that I use and are integral to my own small business. And I know that you will get a lot of value out of them too. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps people discover the show. And if you want to learn more about Creator Courses, the membership that I talked about at the top of the show, uh, head over to howibuilt.it slash tools to get a free guide on five tools you can use to build websites faster. And thanks so much for listening. Until next time, get out there and build something.